Hello Redemption Hill family and friends out there and happy Easter to you in this very surreal moment that we find ourselves in right now. Uh, there's no way around it. This Easter that we're celebrating this year is unlike uh, any other that, that we have personally had before in our lives. I have heard of and know several pastors and, and churches, and, and they're trying really hard to almost deny that fact, as if doubling down on uh, energy and maybe digital excellence for today can somehow eclipse the magnitude uh, of the current cultural moment that we're in. Almost as if we try hard enough, if we do that, then maybe we can just kind of forget uh, what is happening around us in this moment. But I have to wonder, um, is that possibly not a mistake? Uh, or at least maybe is that possibly a missed opportunity for us? So instead of uh, really avoiding the reality of where we're at right now, um, we're going to do this. We're going to do what Redemption Hill tries to do a lot. We're just going to lean into it. Uh, we're going to lean into that moment with everything we have. And here's really the beautiful part of that. Even when we do, here's what we can find. Uh, the grave is still empty. Our Savior is still risen. And the gospel is still really, really, really good news for us, even if we lean into the truth of what's going on. Uh, more than that, even, I wonder if this moment in time that we find ourselves with all of its weirdness, with all of the uncertainty, with, with maybe the worry or the anxiety or the pain surrounding it for some of us, I wonder if this moment is not the perfect moment for us to experience a new depth of hope through Christ in the grave that he walked out of. As he defied death, taking its worst blow, and yet he still rose again, I wonder if right now is the perfect moment to find a new hope in that or a bigger hope in that. Let me try and explain. Um, Easter has become almost a force in, in, in our uh, culture. It almost has a gravitational pull. Uh, there's almost a current to uh, the holiday of Easter right now. And what's happened is really, I think the church has kind of got swept up into uh, the current of this holiday. And it's all taken us somewhere that we may have to agree uh, that, that maybe the place that it's taken us is a little bit weird. Uh, maybe it's not the, the best place that it's kind of taken us. On Easter, here's some of the weirdness that we see around this, uh, what we'll call the holiday of Easter rather than the reality of Easter. Some of what we have seen is on Easter, many, many people will attend church who never, ever will uh, another week of the year. That's interesting to think about. Uh, on Easter, the, the, the shorts and t-shirt guy, all of a sudden he finds a suit and everyone's like shocked when he walks in and, and he's looking really, really good this week, right? Little girls who normally have like hair that doesn't look like it's been combed in probably a week or so, uh, they're kind of all ragamuffined out most of the time. They're going to walk in looking like little princesses. Moms will threaten many young boys that if they destroy their outfit before they get a good picture, that the wrath will come. We hide eggs all over the yard, uh, at our houses, or even at uh, the, the church. And then we unleash kids and say, hey, go, go fetch the, the, the candy now. Even more so, we have, we have a mascot for the holiday of Easter. Right? A big white bunny suit, and some poor dude gets paid to put that on and let rando kids sit on him 
while they scream and mom tries to get a good picture out of it. Not only that, uh, I'll let you maybe just peek behind the curtains a little bit for some pastors on Easter. Uh, There is almost a a palpable feeling from pastors at certain times that on Easter, there's a pressure to convince people that Jesus's life and death and resurrection is good news for their lives. As if the, the reality of Christ defeating death and the grave has to compete with all of the other many things that they really, really, really like about their life. And you've got to kind of make it as valuable to them as all the other stuff. As if people need to be convinced Jesus is a big deal. Convinced to accept Jesus is special or, or good news when they already have a ton of things in their life that they, they think is, is special enough on its own. And therein lies the rub of the holiday of Easter versus the, the, the reality of Easter. Because, hear me, I, I cannot imagine that, that Mary Magdalene or, or the, the disciples after her who saw the resurrected Christ. They saw the Son of God returned from death. Uh, They they realized that he had uh, taken death's worst blow. He had mocked the grave. He had stole death's thunder, realized that he had paid the heavy price for our sin, taken it upon himself, and through that sacrifice made a way for us to wear his righteousness. I cannot believe when they process the the eternal implications of that Savior's love and conquest that they said, you know what? You know what this really needs? Wait a minute. This, this, this event, it needs, it needs a pop. It, it, it needs something to make it impactful. Let, let, let's think. It, it needs like a, a theme or, or, or a shtick or, or something alongside of it to make it cool and memorable. Like we, we need to do something. Let, let's think. Oh, I, I got it. Uh, let's put Doubting Thomas in a bunny suit. Let him hand out eggs and candy to kids. Let's have everyone dress up fancier than they normally would. Let's have an artist paint them. They didn't have cameras. Uh, And then let's teach preachers that they need to make it really, really special once a year. Man, I can't imagine they did that. Of course, I'm using hyperbole here to push my point in front of us. But what this Easter Sunday offers us is profoundly valuable to all of us. As our nation is pretty much all under a stay-at-home order right now, and the force of the Easter holiday has, uh, in its normal commotion, has really out of necessity come to a grinding halt as the rhythms of our life have been taken from us as we can't do what we normally do. And and, and the reality is that there is a, a virus or a disease that is moving around us and we cannot control it in this spot. This lowly spot where much of what we are used to is gone. Hear me, where our feelings of power and control, they're momentarily weakened. Because we now feel clearly, maybe for the first time, that we are not untouchable. This is the perfect time to let the reality of Easter speak over us. Hear me, it is hard for hearts to deeply process the hope of Christ in Easter when our worlds may have felt pretty much together most of our life. Right? As if we're pretty much 
self-sufficient. We talked about it in my uh, missional community over uh, Zoom this week. We discussed it in our time together that the line in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Father, meet my daily needs. I need you. Man, that's a line that most of us have not ever truly had to pray for very long in our lives before COVID-19. But now there's this sweet moment to lean into Jesus's work, to not try and make room for Jesus in our story, but to let Jesus's story change our story, to let it affect our lives, to let it speak over us for this moment. There are many texts that we could use to preach about the reality of Easter. This year, we're going to look at maybe a possibly surprising or or different one. We're going to look at the story of of Jesus and and an interaction with Lazarus and Lazarus' family. If you're familiar with that story, that means that we're going to see how one man being raised from the dead speaks into the magnitude of the God-man being resurrected from the dead forever. If that doesn't make sense, hang with me. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But in the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, we see a beautiful narrative unfold. In this narrative, it begins, Jesus is out teaching and he is speaking and sharing the gospel, going from city to city, uh, making disciples. And while he's out teaching and preaching, word gets back to him uh, that his good friend, a very close friend named Lazarus, has fallen ill and he's, he's almost dead. The word came from Lazarus's own sisters, Mary and Martha. They were the ones who sent the word. Uh, Mary was the same person who, prior to this, had anointed Jesus' hair by, by pouring ointment on his feet and then lowered herself to wipe his feet with her own hair. This is a person who is intimately connected with Jesus already. She sends word to him. So the word that Mary sent to Jesus was this. Hear her words. The one you love is ill. Hear that. The, the one that you love is ill. As if she's saying, hey, if you truly love him, you say you love him. If you truly love him, you're going to come and you're going to spare him. Don't you get it? The one that you love is sick. It's a sentiment that we may have really even caught ourselves sitting in from time to time where we begin to question Jesus' love for us if he does not intervene for us when our hearts are, are struggling at some moment in time. Right, maybe trying to throw out prayers like Mary's message back then saying, Jesus, the one you love, me, I'm struggling right now. Right? I'm hurting right now. Won't you prove your love to, to me by, by doing something, by fixing this? You've said you love me. If you love me, won't you help me? Jesus, please, please, please come take care of this. This is kind of the sentiment that they send to Jesus. The one you love is sick. What are you going to do? In the narrative, Jesus did not immediately return to Bethany where Lazarus was. And in the time that he was away... His friend Lazarus, sickness overtook him and he died. When Jesus arrived back into Bethany, the town where he lived, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. 
And he approached uh, people who were comforting Lazarus' sisters. And we're going to pick up in John chapter 11, verse 20, and read from there. Now, this is a pretty long narrative, so we're going to skip a couple verses to kind of get through it. Uh, But if you want to read the rest of that, it is in John chapter 11. We'll start again in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 32 Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 35 says, and Jesus wept. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and face wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is powerful narrative for Easter. But it's also a powerful narrative for our current situation. Inside it, we see almost the default human reaction to suffering or pain or trial. See, at the front side, before Lazarus died, the tension over suffering and love comes out. That was the part where where Mary kind of sent this message to Jesus and almost baits him saying, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Remember, you love him. This is the the subtle struggle where we doubt Jesus' love when things are difficult for us. But now that Lazarus has died and the suffering has increased and Jesus hadn't intervened before he died. Look at what both Mary and Martha say to Jesus while they're in their pain and they're hurting. Mind you, they both say this to him separate from each other and at separate times from each other. But notice they say almost the, exactly, the exact same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Once you get it, if you were here, we wouldn't be going through this. See, pain and suffering has led them to a spot of feeling frustrated or let down by Jesus. There is to some degree accusation and maybe a a battle of bitterness brewing in their tone because they are feeling this tension with knowing that Jesus is powerful. He's done miracles over and over and over, and they've seen signs and wonders from his hand, so they know he's powerful. And yet in that moment, he did not use his power to fix their pain. They're trying to reconcile. Why? Why would he not help? That is the sentiment I've battled myself at times when I'm hurting. That is a moment that we're deep in the weeds to fight to believe that God is good. 
fighting to trust him, fighting to humble ourselves and believe that he knows what he's doing, fighting to believe that he is for us and working all things for the good of those who love him. We're battling to try and believe this, even though we're hurting. And then catch this, this is what happens as well. The enemy whispers into our ear at that same time that we're battling. He whispers, God's inaction is proof that you're worthless to him. God not stepping in is proof that he doesn't care about you, that he doesn't love you. From here on out in your life, you're going to have to learn to take care of yourself because he shows he doesn't care for you. You're going to have to be on your own. See, this is what the enemy whispers into our, our, our minds in the middle of we're hurting. In moments of suffering, we can think that the, the, the problem is the only thing going on. But at a moment of profound suffering, there's also profound spiritual battle going on in our hearts. I imagine that some of you have felt those same whispers over the past uh, week or two in your own lives. They may sound like if God is good, how could he let so many people die? If God is good, how could he make us be stuck in our home? If God is good, how, how would he let me get furloughed? If God is, is good, how would he let so many people be affected? If he really is good, why wouldn't he have fixed this? I mean, he could have just come in and fixed this. See, I find it interesting that the exact same tactics that the enemy used while Jesus lived are still the tactics that he uses over 2,000 years later. Why does he use the same tactics? Because they work really, really well. Notice Jesus didn't try and defend himself on reasons why he hadn't come sooner. Instead, he begins to speak to Martha in a way that could really, uh, really alter her entire world. He says to her, hear this, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. You're hurting because you can't fathom why my top priority wasn't to race back immediately to save my close friend from dying. You're hurting because you think somehow I didn't care about your pain. But Martha, I need you to hear me clearly. Hear what I'm working out. I'm working out things that, so that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live again. And then Jesus says it again to make sure she gets it. I'm working things out that everyone who believes in me shall never die. You're upset about one person you love dying momentarily. I am working towards no believer ever dying eternally. What is he telling her in the moment? I'm working on your greatest pain. Even though I understand this pain hurts right now. I'm working and laboring to create a way to make a way out for you, for your potential greatest suffering, which is eternal separation for the Father. That's the path I am on. That's what I'm working out. There's a theme that we have to begin to kind of wrestle with when we struggle and when we suffer, and it's probably applicable to now, even though it's really hard to hear right now. That theme is don't let current pain stop us from seeing Jesus' eternal work for us. 
that thought or that saying, it may feel like an empty platitude to you. Or even it may ring as hollow and seem like it's uncaring to say that in the moment. But look at the text and what happens afterwards. And it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus does very much care. Jesus, when Martha and Mary fell at his feet weeping that day, is he saw their pain and the fact that they were not understanding why he hadn't come back. As he saw that many around him were were suffering with really the fallout of a broken world, which is death. As he even himself saw the reality of of my friend is dead and, and he struggled with that. It says that he was moved and greatly troubled and Jesus in that moment wept. As I thought about this, I found myself moved by the text. We have to understand, it wasn't just that Jesus was sad that he lost a friend and it made him cry. Of course, he was definitely sad that he lost his friend and that was a part of it for sure. But Jesus, as he looked over people that he loved and and he saw them in great pain, as he saw them in their pain thinking that he didn't care enough to act, as he thought about all the times uh, in the world that we and the rest of humanity would feel the same way. I believe he got a glimpse of all of our pains on this side of eternity and his soul felt the reality of the ways that so many times we would feel abandoned even though he would pay the ultimate price for us and not abandon us. When he began to see the magnitude of our pain that we would face for years and the way that we would think for a moment that we let that he had left us i think in that moment he was so troubled that that was a really big reason for his weeping he saw that you would hurt and feel abandoned that would mean that back then to some degree your pain right now the pain that you feel in the middle of all the things going on right now the pain that makes it difficult for you to trust Jesus or draw near to God or worship or or read your Bible or engage uh, spiritually with God. Jesus saw that pain and it moved him deeply in his spirit. He does not want you to think that he abandoned you because he did not. Then Jesus called out. I think it's interesting that the text says he still moved. He didn't go, okay, well, I'll just put that away. Jesus, while he still moves, still bothered, calls out, move the stone away from the tomb of Lazarus. One of the sisters cries out, it's been four days, I don't think you want to do that. After four days, things are not going to smell well. Jesus, even more determined before, cried out, move the stone, and then he cried out, Lazarus, come out. You have to let that sit for a moment. Jesus at a funeral says, no, 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 this isn't happening today. No, we're not doing this. Friends had come from from a couple miles away to mourn with the the family and be there with them. And in an instant, Jesus ends their mourning by bringing about life again in Lazarus. He was once dead, but now he is alive. Death has no power over the words of Jesus in the moment. How amazing is that? 
But Jesus in this narrative didn't just use his words to bring Lazarus to life. He also used them to give us a powerful promise, to give all who believe in him a powerful promise that we too shall have new life in him if we believe in him. And this is Jesus speaking about salvation, about the future hope of redemption in that moment. Lazarus' resurrection or, or being revived from the dead was just a shadow for what Jesus would do spiritually in all who believe in him. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what he was working towards with his life. The question for us thousands of years later is, does that promise... To give us life even though we die. Does that promise back then mean anything to us now? Well, here's the reality of it. If Jesus died upon a Roman cross and is still buried, then those words mean absolutely nothing to us because Jesus would have been a liar or just delusional. But if if the grave is empty, If Jesus defeated death himself, if he not only called a person out of death, but he walked out of death himself, then those words are most certainly true for us just as much as they were for them. 1 Peter says this. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, hear this in the middle of our trial. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Verse 8, church, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's what the word of God says to us, church. Even in the middle of unprecedented times, this stands. The heavenly father even though we sinned, made a plan to redeem and save his people. And Jesus came down from heaven to step into our brokenness, to step into our mess, the mess that existed long before COVID ever hit our doorstep. And through that, Jesus lived the perfect life that we were meant to and we could not. In every way we disobey God's law, Jesus fulfilled it. In every way we reject God, Jesus trusted him. And Jesus took his perfection to a Roman cross and laid down his life for us. Jesus was crucified in a horrific way on a cross. And on that cross, he did something that we struggle to fully process. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself and God's wrath, his holy wrath 
for all of the injustices that we commit was exhausted. It says the full cup of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus that day and Jesus cried out in that moment, it is finished. My work is done. I've made a way. See, those words ring out through all eternity. As Jesus accomplished for believers something that we could never accomplish on our own. He paid the price for our sin. And now through faith, we get to wear his righteousness, a righteousness that we did not earn and be saved. First Peter says it this way, we who believe in Jesus, we now have a living hope through the resurrection. Hear me, a real hope that is imperishable, meaning it won't die, it won't be stolen, it won't fade away, it is safe. When so much out there doesn't seem safe, your inheritance and your hope, it is safe. Verse 6 says something that echoes into what we may feel in these last couple weeks. We rejoice in the living hope that we have through the resurrection, even though, for now, we may have trials and pain. But those trials, they are not proof that God doesn't care even when they hurt. Those moments are to sanctify us, to purify us, to deepen our faith. What the word is saying is those moments that hurt, they end up pulling out unbelief and there's this sweeter feeling of what your salvation gives you on the other side of your pain. Yes, pain hurts, but it's doing something. Hold on to hope even now if there's going to be some trials. Here's my part of my hope for us as we process this Easter uh, apart from each other. First, that it would increase our faith and not threaten it. That though trial is near, we would see that even if we can't see Jesus, that he is still near us, that he's working in our hearts and he's still doing a beautiful thing and a tangible thing in us that we are even now able to rejoice because we see, oh man, there's, there's hard things, but you're working and, and you're not finished and you're never going to let me go. That we could rejoice in knowing that through the Savior's blood, he made a way where there used to be no way, even in pain, even in trial, that way can't be erased. Here's what I think Jesus says to us in moments where we may feel just kind of rocked and uneasy. In a moment when we might be scared or tired or hurt or suffering or just, just off, he says the same words that Martha heard all of those years ago by the tomb. He says to you in your pain, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Hear that. The, the resurrection isn't just something that Jesus did. It's who he is. He defeated death, and now he's standing with the keys to death in his hand, and he says to us here, come find life in me. Come to me now and believe. He says, uh, what we heard all through the gospels, come to me, come and drink and see if you won't be satisfied. 
Come and eat the bread of life and see if it won't make you to where your soul isn't hungry anymore. Don't believe that in the middle of pain, hope cannot be yours. It may be that in the middle of pain, we may for the first time see clearly how great of a gift the Father gave us in sending Jesus. Friends, we've spent no time trying to convince you that the resurrection is real. But we've spent a lot of time uh, trying to show how, how Easter is still relevant and good news, even in the world that we're in right now in all of the noise, in all of uh, the, the chaos of what was the, the pace of our lives before COVID, Easter may have felt like one thing amongst a million things competing for the attention of your heart. My hope is that in this moment, when things are, are just stiller or different than they normally are because of, of, of what has happened in our current moment, that Easter and the reality of it may give us a real and living hope. That the Spirit would today minister to you. And that if you have felt as if God didn't care about you through the coronavirus, if you have doubted his love or that he truly cares about you, that you would see that Jesus on the cross, he showed that he cares. Think of it this way. Jesus went to the cross to put an end to COVID and all things like it one day. Think about it. That's what he did because on the cross, he secured forgiveness and a way to reunite us to God again so that one day Jesus could return, fix all that was, was broken, and we could live in right relationship with God in a world where, where pain and suffering and death and disease don't exist anymore. In the resurrection, it proves that he could actually do that, that he could follow through with it. That moment that means that not for a moment, even for a second, that we feel our current pain, does that mean that God or Jesus forsook us or walked away from us? Let the reality of Jesus coming to live the perfect life, the reality that he died upon a Roman cross and was buried, and today the reality that death could not hold him, let that minister to you. The one who defeated death, has made a way for you to be saved. And he'll one day, he'll put all things back together. He'll wipe away every tear that you have cried, including the ones in the last month. That is God's promise about Jesus. And that's what we celebrate during Easter. He is alive and his promises are true. Therefore, we have a living hope to lean into. For some of you today, you may need to take a next step in faith, which for you, that, that is really actually a first step of believing in Jesus. For the first time, you may need to call out to God and go, I've never had that hope. God, will you save me? I need your redemption in my life. Forgive me and save me, God. Adopt me into your family. I need you. I, I want to turn from what I've been doing, and I want to follow you. For some of you, that is the first step. You cannot get to hope and joy in God without submitting to him and telling him that you need him. I pray that that would happen for some of you. If you have questions about that or want to be prayed for about that, I would be so happy to. We'll put my email on this like we have for some of the others. For others whose faith is in Jesus. The hope is that you would have a freshness to your hope. 
today in Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And you can even on the hardest days rest in that. He finished it all. And there's a promise. He'll put it all back together. I pray that you would rest in that, that you would find joy in that, that you would find hope in that, that you would find meaning in that, even when the world just feels so just kind of out of sorts. We've supplied a worship guide again for you. And I would ask, even though we're not together today, that you would spend some time reading through those prayers and worshiping with your mouth in song the God who has saved you, and then that you would spend some time in prayer. Saying, God, I need your help. God, help me to understand and lean into the reality of the resurrection in the middle of what's happening now. I need you. I love you. Work in my heart and just begin to process with him what's going on. Don't don't miss that part. There's a profoundly good moment for you to just lean into, stir your affections and rest in God. Hide in him by going to him in song and prayer. I hope that you would do that. And I hope that you see the beauty of Easter, even when we can't be together. I pray that you don't lament the fact that we aren't all together, uh, but that you would still find just beauty and hope in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son, for your profound goodness, wave and wave of grace and mercy you give to us. At times, it's hard to see it because of the current uh, circumstance around us, but I pray that our eyes would be open to that, that we would lean into, rest in, and find great joy in your Son. I pray that we would hear those words, I am the resurrection, and they would echo in our hearts loudly. Jesus, come near. Draw your people. Let us lean into you, find hope in you, strength in you, even right now, God. We pray that. Be glorified. God, I pray that you would save, that you would draw people to you, that if there are people who are wrestling with what to do next, that you would capture their hearts and they would lean into you and submit to you. God, be glorified. Work in Redemption Hill. Work in our family and friends for your glory, for the good of this world, and so that more can see you. We pray that in your name. Thank you for going to the cross, Jesus. Thank you for paying for our sins. And thank you for raising again and giving us hope. We love you. We glorify in what we're doing. We pray that in your name. Amen. Redemption Hill family and friends, I love you guys. I hope that you do have a great Easter, even though it is a different one. I hope that you spend some time in worship uh, and we look forward to the day when we get to see you again. All right, have a good day. Yeah.